Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Now, but it seems like that's being soft peddled in the media, you know. Yeah, I did hear a report. Maybe it was on Newsmax or somebody that tells the truth on Friday and talking about how much it slowed down. But I can see that with my own eyes. If you work in an office, we have a real dribble of uh, closings happening. So, and new construction has basically stopped. Mm-hmm. I read something on mainstream media yesterday. Just I skimmed it that somebody thinks there's going to be like a twenty percent reduction in prices next year. Yeah, I wish I wish, for instance, that we could sell while they're still high, but I don't yeah, I know. I you know, force that. The sooner but, you um, can sell, the better. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm just concerned that, you know, if I'm now the newest person again, I'll get a bunch of scut work they were giving the other new people, which I'm not looking forward to. Not to mention, you know, they'll have to redistribute the workload or whatever these people were working on. You've been there, what, two years? It'll be two years in May. Oh, so a year and a half. Right, but I mean, since so many of the people they hired, you know, after me, or all, all of them have left. Two of them resigned and one of them's been laid off. I'm now the newest again. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Wow. While Laura's sitting here with us, we were... Hmm. We were thinking of going in person today, but then it just, I don't know, didn't work out. So. I see George. George is online too. How are you doing, George? Hey, Julie. Hi, George. How's it going? (laughs) Yeah, I'm uh, not my best day. Yeah, we heard you'd, you'd had another procedure or something. Jimmy was telling us, I think, on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, I, I had uh, they, they, they took a toe from me, Ugh. and uh, it, it was a pretty ugly situation there. <laughs> yeah, but that 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 was for the good. Yeah, um, it's. And, t- and t- today I'm just ill in the stomach, but um. Oh. Yeah, it's a, it's a little, little, little funky, but it's coming along. Well, do you need anything mm-hmm. that anybody from the church could bring you? Is anybody checking in with you? I'm all good. I, I don't need anything. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay, well, certainly let somebody know, even if it's Jimmy, but uh, let us know if there's anything you can see us doing. George, who do you live with? Do you live with your mom? Yeah, I have my mom here and uh, my kids. Yeah, yeah so I, I I have plenty of help. I, I have tons of family in town. All right, Genesis chapter two, verses four and five. Nathan must have done that. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, uh, when no bush of the field was as yet in the land. And no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, 
and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It was, is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you caused this word to be written down so long ago and preserved for us today. We thank you for this word that lets us see back to the very beginning, to what you did to make your people. We pray that as we reflect upon it together, that you would sink this word deep into our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, that it would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our lives, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live today and in days to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. So in front of me right now, I didn't, I didn't bring my, any props in a bag, but I do have this table in front of me. And if you've never taken a good look at this table, you really should, because it's a beautiful table. And this table is beautiful, it's beautifully built, it's beautifully stained, it's beautifully cut. One of the things that's beautiful about this table, uh, this, was, this was made for us, uh, for Resurrection, by a friend of Resurrection. And one of the things that's beautiful about this table is that it is made by hand. Every piece of it was cut and shaped by somebody's hand. And we know that things that are made by hand are more special. Sometimes they're better, sometimes they're not, right? We've got pretty good machines these days. Just because something's made by hand doesn't mean it's actually stronger or prettier, but it is special. And oftentimes it is the most, they're the most beautiful things because we can see the handmade touches. Things that are made by hand are more expensive. You go and buy handmade furniture, you're gonna, you're gonna pay for it. You're gonna pay a lot for it because it's valuable. And what we see here in Genesis chapter two is God saying, I made man by hand. 
With God's own hand, he took the man of dust and formed him. You see throughout this passage the care and attention of God. You actually see it in a number of places. You see, first of all, at the very beginning, in verse 4, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, if I had just read Genesis chapter 1, you would notice that there's a difference here. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God, just God. God did this. God, 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 God. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, as we zoom in on the creation of man, it says, the Lord God. And if you look, if you look up there uh, on the screen and the text of your Bible, you see that Lord is in all caps, for that is the personal name of God. That when God zooms in to make man by hand, he uses his name. The name we say Yahweh, Yahweh God, the personal name of God that he made man with his own hands. He formed him out of the dust in verse 7. Formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And then when it comes time to make the woman, he does it again by hand. He takes a rib out of the man's body and builds it up into a woman. The creation of people is not something that just happened, but something that is done by the hand of God. And so what does that mean for us? What the, the main thing that Genesis chapter 2 wants to tell us about God is that God made us with his hands. And to sit in the glory of that, that God made you with his own hands. He shaped you and formed you. And this will be picked up throughout the Bible uh, in the Psalms, in the book of Psalms, in Psalms 139, the psalmist teaches us to sing to God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You formed my inmost being, that God's personal care and attention to each person in this world is what, it, is what we see here. So God made us with his own hands. But the problem is, what's our problem here? The problem is that we don't recognize this. We don't recognize in our day-to-day -day life how well God made us with his hands. We don't pay attention to it. We tend to try to do things with our own hands. We want to do things our way. We know we, there's some ideas here. We like to work. We like to build. We like to garden. We like to be in relationship with one another. All these things we see in Genesis chapter 2, but we do them our own way. And what this is telling us is that we were made by God's hands. And if we were made by God's hands, then we must work his world in his way. That's the fundamental purpose for which men and women were put into the world. You see that in verse, um, in verse 5. The Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. In the way that God designed things, the earth really could not grow rightly, could not be kept care of unless there were people to work it. And so we were put here with the purpose of work. That's what we are here to do. We saw this last week in Genesis chapter 1 when it said God made man in his image to be a creative God. God is, God is a creative God, so he made us to be a creative people, to fill the earth and subdue it, to have dominion over the birds and the fishes and the animals. And so God made us to work. That is our fundamental identity as people, is to work the world, work God's world in God's way. And so the call to us this morning from Genesis chapter 2 is to reflect on what that means. Am I working God's world in his way? Is that my goal in this life? 
Or am I just trying to do things my way? Or am I just looking for what I can get for myself? That's not who we were made to be. We were made to work and take care of God's world. So we three, see, th see here in Genesis chapter 2, three particular aspects of what it means to work His world in His way. The first is with His blessings. The second is by His rules. And the third is in His relationships. With His blessings, by His rules, in His relationships. The first part, with His blessings, over and over here we see how good this is. And we know this, of course, this has become a symbol for us throughout our culture because it's in the Bible, the Garden of Eden, where everything is right and good. God, but, but the text emphasizes this. In verse 8, the Lord God planted a Garden of Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then there's these rivers. So there's a tree of life, there's a tree of knowledge, there's rivers, there's good food, and God tells them uh, in verse 16, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, not of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we'll get to that in a minute, um, but you may eat of every tree in the garden. What tree were they allowed to eat of? They were allowed to eat of every tree, which includes the tree of life. The tree of life was not off limits to them. They had everything good. So we work with his blessings. We should look at the world around us and say, this is a good land. God has made it good for us. You know, one of the things that's, that's remarkable, uh, well, one of the things that's remarkable about the United States of America as a country is the vast amount of natural resources that we have in this country. As you grow up, I remember learning, as you go up, go up through school and learn in social studies and history and these kinds of things, you just keep learning about iron ore in Minnesota and you learn about all this stuff, all the, out, all the land out west, all the good earth that we can produce agriculture. Like we can produce a whole lot of stuff in this country. And all that good stuff is not limited to America. God has put all his good stuff all throughout the world. And so we are to take all the resources that God has given them, given us and use those blessings for good. And so the way, the way that our, you know, back, back then when they first read this, they were, they were mostly thinking about farming. That's, that's what they did. They were, they were farmers and they were ranchers and they were taking their livestock around, really around the desert when they were first learning this. But, um, but they would settle in the land of Canaan and they would grow and things and make it produce. So about all those things. Today in our modern world, we, we've gotten several steps removed from that, but the principles still hold. What can we do with the blessings that God has given us? What skills has God given me? What resources has God given me? And how can I use those to reflect his image throughout the earth, to reflect his goodness, his kindness, his creativity, his beauty are all reflected throughout the earth. And is that work good? Of course it's good. The work here, when I say we were made to work, it's not a bad thing. Work, work has become a challenging thing for us. We'll talk about that next week in Genesis chapter 3, when man messed things up a little bit and made work not the way it was supposed to be. But we still, we still get glimpses in this world when you're doing something that you love. People will say things like, it doesn't even feel like a job. I'm lucky to get to do this. I love going to work. 
because I love what I do. It feels meaningful. It feels important. It's making a difference to people. And so each of us is called to consider how God has blessed us, how we can use that to reflect his glory in the world. So we work his world with his blessings. To do it right, we must work his world by his rules. So coming back to verse, uh, verse 17, verse 16, God said, you may eat of every tree of the garden. They're blessed. They have all the blessings. Verse 17, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Why? No idea. We, we don't get told why God said this. But it is clear from this that forevermore we should work according to God's rules. He laid down one rule for, I mean, he, he actually laid down some more rules because he told them to go and work. He had some commands, some things to do. But one clear thing that they should not do, do not eat of this tree. And so as we try to do our work in this life, as we try to properly reflect God's glory as human beings, we're to do this as, by his rules. Sometimes we understand them. Sometimes we can see why they're for our good. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we just have to trust. It's, it surely was not clear to Adam and Eve why the knowledge of good and evil would be a problem. It's not entirely clear to us why the knowledge of good and evil is a problem. Generally, if we look at this phrase later on in the Bible, we see that the knowledge of good and evil is closely connected to the idea of growing up and maturing and being adults. The difference between children and adults is whether you know good and evil, whether you understand these things, whether you understand the way the world works, the things that we, we think this should be a good thing, but, but God knew that it was not. And even something that they thought was good, that we'll see them tempted in chapter three to, to choose, to choose that knowledge instead of trusting God, we're still faced with things today that we think, well, surely this is good. If it feels good, how could it be wrong? If it seems right to me, if it seems right to so many other people, how could this really be wrong? And yet we have to work God's world by his rules. And so when we see commands in the Bible, about how we should live and how we should act, we must follow them, whether we understand them or not, whether we see the reasons for them or not. We affirm and we believe that all of God's laws and rules are good for us, but we don't always understand why, and we don't have to understand why. But Genesis chapter two tells us that we work his world by his rules. And Genesis chapter three will show us the devastating consequences when we do not. So we work his rules, world, by his rules. Third one, with his blessings, by his rules, in his relationships. We then, we get the first, in verse 18, we get the first not good in the first two chapters of Genesis. It is good, it is good, it is good, it was good, it was very good. In verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now here's something that's, that's important to understand. This gets a little bit tricky to apply because of course Genesis chapter 2 is going to have application to marriage, but the application is not limited to marriage. This is about the fundamental constitution of humanity. And so here's the other thing. When God created the man up until chapter 8 uh, verse 18, everything he said to the one man who was created is then for all people, 
it is not just for men to work and keep the garden. When God said that, there was only one man. That was the, the, the representative of the entire human race. And God said, this is not a one-man job, right? This is a job for people in relationship and not just one kind of people either. He didn't just make a copy of the man. He didn't just make a servant for the man. When he brings all the animals around, he brings them, they would have been servants for the man. But no animal can be a proper, no, no servant is what was needed. Instead, what was needed was a partnership. And that's why he takes the rib out of the man's side and he creates an entirely new person. So one man has become two, but not two identical copies, two complementary copies. He sees when the man wakes up and he sees the woman, he recognizes that she is like him and yet she is different. That men and women are made to be complementary to each other. And so we see in this both, we, we see the way that God's relationships are supposed to work. Again, fundamentally defined in marriage here, as it says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, but also applying out to all of human relationships that God has made people to be different in so many ways, but to work together in partnership, to work and keep his world. So we see that he recognizes that this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. The fundamental message here is the similarity, the partnership, the connection, while still recognizing the complementarity, the differences between men and women. She was taken out of man, she shall be called woman. And what's amazing and remarkable is that in English, man and woman are very similar. And in the Hebrew, they're also very similar. It's almost exactly parallel the way that man and women sound alike that we see that fundamentally this is what people are made of. So we work together in relationships. So what, what does that mean practically to work together in his relationships? It means we recognize our fundamental commonality, our fundamental equality, our fundamental reflection of the image of God. If you go back to Genesis chapter one, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That men and women together reflect the image of God. That God's image cannot be fully reflected in any one person or in any one gender. So in marriages, we recognize the different gifts that each partner brings, the different ways that they act. Of course, in a marriage, that's gonna look different any one marriage to another. But it goes beyond marriage. It goes beyond marriage to recognizing the different gifts that different cultures bring, the different uh, that, that people from different parts of the world bring, that people with different gifts and different abilities all bring to these relationships where we recognize the fundamental image of God in one another. We recognize our fundamental partnership with one another. And then what does that look like? A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That people can be bound so closely together that they become as one. So particularly in marriage, but in other relationships as well, especially within the church, we take on the burdens of one another. What we do, and we know this in marriages, we know this from our laws in marriages, it, the, the benefits that one person gains go to the couple in a marriage. The debts that one person takes on 
go to the couple in a marriage. It's a fundamentally, they've become one person in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of society. In the church, we become one body. We become the body of Christ. When one member suffers, as it says in Corinthians, all suffer with it. When one member rejoices, all rejoice with them. So we take on the burdens, we take on the blessings of one another in close marital relationships, in close church relationships, in close relationships between people out in the world. We are made for relationships. And in the ideal, in verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The emphasis here is on the vulnerability that we can feel. What would it look like in a marriage to say, I have no shame. I can share everything with my spouse. And I can know that when I say things, I'm not going to be judged. I'm not going to be condemned. I'm not going to be criticized. I have no shame. Now, of course, that's going to make, find its closest expression in marriage relationships. But what would that look like in a church community? To say that I have no shame. That I can admit my failures. I can admit my weaknesses. I can ask for help and let people come and help me and feel no shame. I've often said that to be part, to be a member of Resurrection Community is you have to commit yourself to giving and serving and also to receiving and to being served. For that is the fundamental nature of human relationships. But to what end? Where is this going? This is going to the end of working in God's world. We are doing things together. We are on a mission together. Why has God, God, God put people in marriage, in other relationships together? It's not really for our own benefit. When we think about our marriages, when we think about our relationships, we should not be thinking of them in terms of what do we get, but in terms of what can we do together? What can we accomplish in God's world? How can we serve together? How can we serve together as a couple? How can we serve together as a family? How can we serve together as a church? What can we do for the community around us? For God has put us in relationships of blessing and obedience and joy to work and reflect his image to the world. But it doesn't work, does it? Some have said that the first sin in the Bible, even though most people would locate sin in chapter 3, some have said the first sin is really mentioned in, chapter, in verse 25 here, in the negative, that they felt no shame. But where does shame come in? Shame comes in when we sin and disobey. That's what we're going to see in the next chapter. It's kind, of, it's kind of a foreshadowing. They were not ashamed. Everything was right and good. But you kind of have this fear. Something is coming. And as readers, we know we, we don't feel this. Nobody here is naked. We don't want anybody here to be naked. That's not the way the world works anymore. Um, but, but we feel shame. We feel shame at our disobedience. We feel shame at our failures. We feel shame at our sin. So how can we get back to this ideal? This ideal where our marriages are characterized by naked and unashamed. Where our relationships within the church are characterized by vulnerability and lack of shame. This only comes through God's restoration in Jesus. For in Jesus, when he came and he demonstrated the perfect humanity, he did what Adam and Eve were commissioned to do in the garden and failed to do. He went into God's world and he brought blessing and sacrifice and service. And then he went to the cross 
where he took on all of our guilt and all of our shame. That our sins could be forgiven in the court, that we no longer were guilty before God, but also that our shame could be taken away. That when we receive the forgiveness of Jesus, we have no shame from what others think. Because if God thinks well of us, if God looks at us and says, I made them with my own hands, and I sent my son to die for them because they were worth that much to me, then we have no need to feel ashamed from what other people may think or from what we think of ourselves. In Jesus, we find our restoration to what God shows us in Genesis chapter two. So let us go out together. Let us seek relationships where we really live out Jesus' love for us. God making us in his image with his hands that we can work this world together with his blessings, by his rules, and in his relationships. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for, this, for, the, for your word. We thank you that you made us with your hands. We thank you that you give us the breath of life. We thank you that you have given us many gifts and blessings in this world. Even as it's broken and marred by sin, that we see, still see your glory and beauty and riches in so many ways. Would you teach us what it means to work it rightly in your way? Would you draw us together by the sacrifice of your son Jesus that we may walk together in open and vulnerable relationships with no shame? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.